Welcome to the Podglomerate. Nobody's going to say I'm going to punch my subject in the face. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, in, in that story, I literally said I'm going to beat the shit out of this guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody's going to say that. I'm Kyle, and this is Writers Who Don't Write. Welcome. This week, we are absent Jeff for the intros and the outros. He is traveling across the country, fulfilling his dreams, but probably also mostly just doing a fantasy baseball draft in Fort Lauderdale. This week on the show, we've got Paul Cantor, who is a writer you probably recognize because his work has been literally everywhere. He's written for Rolling Stone, Esquire, New York Mag, Billboard, Fader, Vice, Apple, Verizon, Universal, Warner Brothers, and more. You've probably also heard some music that he's produced. He's been a music producer for longer than he's been a writer. So he's been all over the place, and you've probably heard some of his tunes. And we do talk about that on the show. We also talk about a lot of the writing that he's done. We focus on one story in particular, which is one you've probably read, which is the story of Combat Jack, hip-hop's flagship podcaster. Uh, We also get into the book that he's writing, which we can't discuss too much in detail, uh, but it is very interesting what he can tell us so far. So let's get right to the episode. Paul, welcome to the show. Do you want to tell our listeners kind of like what your background is? Uh, and I'm, I'm a little curious myself because every time I find a byline, it says, you know, you're a music producer and a writer and a creative. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I started out really in the music business. Um, I didn't really have, you know, any grand ambition to be a writer, uh, maybe a little bit, but, but um, I was somebody that... Um, you know, sometimes people are good at things they don't necessarily want to do. I mean, it's like a, a guy who's born seven feet and they push him to go, to play basketball, but he really wants to be a poet or, you know, a doctor or a lawyer. It's like, no, you play basketball, you know, and it's like you, you wind up with a lot of responsibility you didn't really ask for. Um, so that was kind of how writing was for me. I, I, I was a good writer. I was I had a, a, a talent for communicating and expressing myself probably more so just because I grew up in a yeah I don't know it could be a Jewish thing I mean Jewish people are just just insane and you grow up in households where people are just have very colorful language and and there's a lot of conversation you grow up with that and you it kind of like you ingest it and it just you become like a very communicative person. I mean, you're probably not saying things people want to hear, but (laughs) but you're saying a lot of things. You're saying a a, a lot of, a lot of stuff, you know? Um, And so I was always like that in school. Like I, you know, I was always a great, um, I could, you know, go in and do these like class essays without very much preparation and just, and just uh, the writing, I would just write it like, like a narrative out of my head. And I always did well on writing portions of things Um, but I didn't really want to be a writer or anything like that. Um, I I wanted to be a musician and work in music. Uh, I never, I never saw myself, uh, you know, having a career in writing. I also didn't grow up in a environment where writing was seen as, you know, important or, um, had value, you know, um, like, I mean, I grew up in a household with books, but I went to public schools, you know, like, it wasn't like people were saying, you know, you can be a writer. I mean, everybody from where I grew up with, everybody that I grew up with um, and went to high school with and even college with, a lot of them um, 
I couldn't even tell you what they're doing now. You know, a lot of them are not, um, they're not really doing much with themselves. I mean, I, I, that says that sounds bad. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they're doing something. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? It could be, you know, there could be a police officer, a plumber. They have they have jobs that are that are very important, but they don't necessarily have much to do with like, you know, artistic ability or creativity or anything. Right, right, right. And it took me a really long time to understand. I mean, you you said something great there, which is they have a lot of importance. It took me a long time to realize how important that job was. You know, I, it, it, like it was almost like I had to mature to understand that 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 job might even be more important than you know anything like that I was trying to do. Like I'm sitting here like, oh, I would like be in the music business and like make something of myself and have all these dreams. And and then I was like, you know, what's really, you know, heroic, like being a teacher, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, which is what my mother was, you know, Um, you know, it's heroic. Like what my dad does, you know, he works for uh, the the, um, human resources, uh, like welfare services and stuff in New York. Like that's important, you know? And, um, Anyway, so those are the kinds of people I grew up with, and um, yeah, I mean, it was like, yeah, you had to, you know, get, like, famous, or you were, like, nothing, you know what I mean? You just, you would work, like, a regular-ass job. If you could get a regular-ass job, maybe you'd, you know, be selling drugs or something, you know, Um, which I know on, like, you know, this kind of podcast probably sounds very unglamorous, but, you know, it's like, this is just some of the options for people who don't have anything, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah. So I was like, I, I just kind of like really sunk into just, I have to get into the music business. It was my only, you know, it was my only shot of like doing anything important in life. Why, why um, music versus, uh, like acting or painting or making movies or something like that? I think primarily cause I just, I grew up in a house with a lot of music. Um, the, I mean, we did watch television and we did watch movies and we, we did, you know, we did have exposure to, you know, some art. Um, but my father was very much into music. Um, he, you know how in some houses, like the television is the center of the, the, the yeah. living room. Um, actually in most houses right now, um, in my house, like the stereo was the main thing. I mean, there was no television in the living room. And so, you know, my father would kind of like come home and he would put on a lot of music, a lot of jazz and uh, soul music and uh, some rock, you know, but, but not much. Um, a lot of a lot of black music, you know. Um, but then he was also listening to the radio a lot and just, just in, you know, always, inter- you know, listening to, to music. So from a very early age, like music was just the, the lifeblood that kind of ran through whatever it was, um, you know, I was doing. And, and my father had, um, I didn't learn this until I I was a little older. And, and so some of my life kind of started to make a little sense to me, but, you know, my father had a little, like, you know, uh, a little college newspaper where he wrote like jet, like reviews of like, you know, music, he had tried to like work in the music industry as well. So he had kind of like a little bit of a background in writing and uh, like trying to work in music as well. He wasn't very successful at it. He, he had to kind of give it up, you know, uh, pretty early in his life. Um, I don't know. Maybe he just didn't have that, you know, that ambition to do it um, past a certain age. 
But uh, I didn't learn any of that stuff until I was about like 30 or 31. And I was like, wow, you know, I've been living this very, um, you know, uh, dream sequence like life, you know, of, you know, working in music and, you know, just just having like a a lot of like great experiences, you know, and I didn't realize that my dad wanted that so much for himself, you know, um, never told me nothing, you know, he wasn't like, he was like, son, you have to work in music, <laughs> you know, you have to make my dreams, you know, you have to be the, the dream that I couldn't achieve, like nothing <laughs> like that, <laughs> you know, uh, I just, it just naturally And when, when you were working way, in music, yeah. like what kind of stuff were you doing? Well, I, I mean, I was never... I wouldn't say I was ever like um, the most important person in you know in music. Uh, although you know maybe other people would would say I was more important than I think you know I was. Um, I started out with a small studio, um, a very small like little you know almost like a basement um, in where I'm from, Staten Island, uh, New York. Uh, that I started with some you know people I'd met um, in college, and. Gee, I was maybe around 19 or 20 and just really got ambitious about building the studio business and, you know, getting uh, whomever in, you know, to record. From there, um, I was I was in college uh, at the time. I, I went to a local school. I, the college was maybe like five or ten minutes away from my house. I went to the College of Staten Island, which I know is not very glamorous. Um, but... Uh, I was studying journalism there, and so I started doing stories on, like, my friends, you know, because I, I was I was sort of a pillar of this little music community on Staten Island and had all this access to these, to, to, to all these, you know, people who were making records, and I would have, a, like, school assignments, like, oh, you need to do, like, a photo essay of, you know, of somebody, so I would just take photos of people who were in the studio, and I'd say, oh, this is some, so, so-and-so, you know, he's a DJ you know, and this is his dream, you know, oh, this is somebody, you know, he's a rapper, you know, this is, you know, this is his, this is what he's about, and so, and, and, uh, in fact, um, one of my final, uh, projects when I was in college, uh, in a magazine journalism class was I had to do, like, a magazine profile of somebody, so I did a magazine profile of, um, a DJ who was a good friend of mine, and, you know, I, I, I went out with him. I was always going out with him. You know, we would go out every, like almost every night, you know, but instead of just going out, I turned our going out into a story, you know, and wrote this, this magazine piece that was, uh, I think I got an A on it, you know, and it was, I didn't realize, you know, these people were really interesting characters, you know, like these, these like promoters and, you know, pro, you know, I was producing music. I made, you know, that was what I primarily did. I, I song wrote and produced. I wasn't like a, I wasn't a, you know, trying to rap or anything. I, I did that much earlier in my <laughs> life. I wasn't trying to be a performer. I, I just, I just wanted to be, you know, behind the scenes. And, and like, you know, when you're like 20, 21, you don't realize like you're around so much like interesting, uh, just an interesting world, you know, um, you have, you're dealing with like a lot of street culture, you know, um, I would have, you know, people that were coming in, they were funding a record label, they might have been, you know, a drug dealer, right, and they're coming in, and they're like, just all the money they're spending, they're making it on, you know, on the street, and then, you know, they're kind of trying to flip it into mm -hmm. music, um, and they've got like a lot of hopes and dreams pinned on like some young rapper, 
And like, like I said, when you're like 20, you're just like, yeah, just give me the money. You know, let's do this, the recording session. And then you, you guys like keep it moving, you know. Well, as I got older, I started realizing like, wow, I mean, these were guys like with a lot of, you know, very rich, like, you know, it was a lot of rich storytelling, you know, there probably wasn't taking advantage of it, you know, so I, I think back on it now and uh, with a lot of fondness, you know, um, it's great. I mean, like, as you get older, you get, you distance yourself a lot from, you know, some of these worlds because either you're more successful or you're just not trying to deal with shit like that. Um, and you're, you know, I live in Manhattan now, you know what I mean? I would have, like, where I live, you know, I, I, I mean, not to, not to say Manhattan is like a Shangri-La, but it's like, there's no drug dealers around here, you know what I'm saying? And drug yeah, dealers... a long way from Staten Island. Yeah, I mean, and, and drug dealers make for great stories. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, nobody wants to hear about the guy going to his desk and like, you know, typing away in, in Excel for five hours a day. Right. I mean, like, like being a, like a young professional, like who has a lot of ambition and does all the right things. That's like not interesting at all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like, um, like that's cool, you know, and, and like I support it as like a, like a human being, you know what I mean? But in terms of like it, it providing material for stories, it's, it's, it's not, you know, I mean, I guess it, it, it's rich in some ways, right? I mean, you have television shows like The Office, you know, um, and and so you can spoof it, you know, in, in, yeah, in yeah. ways. I mean, I, I, I'm just saying like when, like, for example, like when The Wire was like a big television show, I mean, I never watched it, you know. It was just like I have no desire to tap into something that is very, you know, not to say like I, I was selling drugs or anything, which I never did, you know, but but it wasn't like that distant, you know, to me. So I just had no ambition to really watch it. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's cool, man. I, I don't really need to, you know, get involved with this, you know. And, and how did that transition into like where you're at today where you're doing a lot of freelance journalism? Well, when I was in college, um, I I was studying journalism. I was like in communications, and then I had to pick like a specialization. I liked, you know, I I liked writing in in the sense that I could maybe get paid for it, right? Um, so I guess I needed to make money. So uh, there was two options: you could, you know, become like an English major, or you could, you know, veer off into like journalism. So I said, oh, you know, I'll let me do the journalism thing. That seems more practical. Um, and I started writing for the school newspaper. I did a couple stories. And I didn't really spend a lot of time at the school newspaper because I just felt it was very detached from, the like, the real world. And, um, I, like, I think I was maybe, like, 22. I, I was producing music, you know, running this little studio, and I met somebody from a website um, called allhiphop.com, which was at the time like a really big website. Um, it's still pretty big now. And they were kind of, you know, uh, asking me to do some, some small interviews for them with like new artists. And like through a convergence of uh, things, um, a... Uh, a guy who was a magazine editor was trying to break into the music industry. He had like a new artist and he wanted to like uh, buy a, a beat from me that I had made. Like he wanted to use it for the artist. He couldn't pay me. So he said, Hey man, do you want to write something for me? You know, you can interview the artist and then you can write a thing for the magazine. Right. And so I did. And, um, I wrote, I wrote a piece, uh, like a very small thing, like a review. 
might have got paid about three hundred dollars, three hundred fifty dollars. I was twenty two, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" <laughs> you know, um, you just get to sit around and like listen to music and just like write about it. And it was really difficult, honestly. Like, it wasn't like the easiest thing to do because you know um, you need a lot of mm-hmm. adjectives and things to describe. You know, it's very hard to describe. I'm, I'm sound, so glad you that know? you brought that up because so, I I review podcasts on the side for the Daily Dot and. Uh, I wanted to ask you for tips on how to, you know, write about something that, you know, is like a sonic universe and like trying to express that on paper. Man, it's very challenging, you know, Um, and then I mean, sometimes I'm sure you're writing about podcasts that maybe, you know, you don't have a ton of interest in or like maybe it's not that good and you don't really want to say something Uh bad about it, you know, because... Like what's there's a thousand podcasts, oh, there's, there's right? Four hundred fifty. Let's say there's a there's a yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah four hundred fifty thousand, right? And you're like, you're like, I don't know, man. Like, uh, you know, I could just not say anything about this and have this guy hate me, or I can I can go find mm-hmm. one I like, you know. Um, and so that kind of was a challenge as well. I mean, just it was like kind of a you know, you had to like kind of review certain things that you might yeah. not have really dug. And it, the paper, it's, it's, you know, it, I mean, not the paper, it's all the, about the, the market. Mag- yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you kind of like, you know, you may have personal opinions, but then you also are representing the, the brand itself. Like you're representing your daily dot. I might've been representing at the time, like say XXL magazine, you know, which was a huge, you know, those reviews were, I mean, there was only two mag- hip hop magazines, right? That was like the preeminent one. So if you had a review in Double XL, I mean, just the just the fact that the, the the album was reviewed there was important. But then you were the guy now who gave the <clears throat> excuse me, you were the guy now who gave the album, you know, mm-hmm. a bad review. You know, it's like I've had you know artists that wanted to kill me. You know what I'm saying? Like where I've seen them in the street and they've just been like, "Yo, man, I'm gonna fucking kill you." You know, like just straight up tell me, and and like you know, you have to diffuse and the situation. That, that's, you know, in some way, like hey, that's man. the hard part about all kinds of criticism is that it works with books and movies and TV shows and podcasts and music, but it's all subjective. Yeah, no, it's it one hundred percent. And so I, I, uh, I really like was doing that, and I, again, I like. I wasn't really that ambitious about it. I really, you know, I enjoyed it, but it was like I I still had these dreams of, you know, being like a chart topping, you know, music producer, um which a lot of my friends from that period who I'm still in touch with, a lot of them are chart topping producers and songwriters. I mean, uh some of my best friends are like I sometimes have to pinch myself because they have like the songs that are on the radio all day long, like, you know, and these are people that I've been in there, you know, I've been, I've slept on their, their guest beds, you know, they've been in my home, like, it's crazy, you know, and, and like, I go into like a, you know, in my gym or something, like, they're just playing these songs all day, and I'm like, yo, this is like, my homeboy, you know, um, who is just living in like the sickest mansion, <laughs> you know, in like in LA driving, you know, the craziest car, you know, and <clears throat> I'm over here, you know, with my like $10 gym membership, you know, <laughs> like just, just, just trying to like get by, you know? <laughs> so how does, so how does this free form sort of free thinking writing for yourself become the book deal that you've got now? What's what is what does the progression look like from the outside or from the inside to you? 
Um, well, I didn't get a book deal to do that kind of stuff. Um, I hope that one day that all of that writing, um, some of it, you know, that's published, you know, publicly, a lot of it that's public, that that's still private, you know, um, can find a way into the world. Cause I think, you know, I, I've let people read this stuff and they think it's like just really good, but everybody thinks everything is good. I mean, who's going to tell you something sucks? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> everyone's like, yeah, this is amazing. Publish it, you know? Um, but, uh, the book that I'm writing now is, um, is a music book. It's a nonfiction music book. And, um, I can't really talk like a ton about it because it's, it's, it's kind of like a very heavy subject that, um, I'm kind of trying to avoid like like inviting more controversy than needs to be uh, ahead <laughs> no of time. No advanced criticism. Like, I, I have a I have a feeling that when the book comes out, um, it's going to make a lot of people, you know, either either they're going to understand the nuance and really like really feel that it's a story that you know is interesting, or they're going to be very against it. Um, it's a big risk. I might literally destroy my <laughs> career and my life in the process uh, i'm willing to concede that um, we've got two readers here at but i uh, appreciate that guys man i know i'm good <laughs> yeah tell, yeah, tell your publisher i'll give you free uh, you guys you guys get <laughs> yeah you guys get free freebies man you don't have to pay for them but um, no, i mean like let's talk and, like uh, professional like uh f- technically from a writing standpoint though i mean like so you're you're writing these things that are 650 words a thousand words some of them got pretty long actually i think on medium but how does that how when do you start to see the progression towards something super long form like a book like how do you start to build more complexity into I think your a, stories? a lot of it was I think a lot of it was um I mean sometimes the the content meets the the uh or the form meets the the platform you know what I'm saying like you know, you got a three and a half minute pop song primarily because that's how much, you know, time can fit on a radio between the, by the time the commercials need to come in, you know what I'm saying? So like if there were no commercials, it might be like a 20 minute song on a radio, you know? Um, but really it was like, I wasn't thinking a lot about books. I mean, I might've been thinking about it a little bit because anybody who writes thinks about it, but an agent, contacted me and asked me if I had any book ideas and I was like not really I mean I want to write a book as all people do you know because you want to be the guy who wrote a book right but but I didn't I didn't have any like you know stories like that I thought were that that could command that kind of space so I started going to the bookstore I was like man I'm not even like I mean I'm reading books but I don't know what the hell is out, you know what I'm saying? It's like I'm not going to Barnes and Nobles every day, you know, or looking at Amazon. Like I'm reading shit from like a hundred years ago. You know, like my you know, the the stuff that I'm looking at is most of my references for books are like things that are very old. I mean, I might be reading like a piece of like French literature from like four hundred years ago, you know, so it's like I don't I have no idea what contemporary books are like, nothing. So I said okay, I'm going to start going and going to the bookstore. So I, I walked into the bookstore and I just looked at every single book on the shelf, like in the, in the front. And I just took pictures and I, I, I analyzed them and I started seeing like, who are the people that are writing the books and what are these titles about? How many are about this? And what is the narrative, you know, what is the, what is the kind of like the, um, what is the, the format for how these nonfiction books 
you know, are coming out and what is like the subject matter. Um, there weren't a lot of music books, right? So uh, very few. And so I, most of my book ideas were not, you know, music ideas. I didn't feel that music was something, even though I, I had written a lot about it, um, I, I didn't know if there was going to be any legs, you know, for a music book. Um, and so we probably kicked around about maybe 20 ideas, some of them nonfiction book ideas, um, some of them like more memoir type things, and always very ambitious, like shit that, you know, was really like risque type stuff. Because I, I, I don't really, like the publishing industry, like as far as I can tell, is a little... Um, it can be a little vanilla sometimes. Like I, no. I, mean, I think that's putting it lightly, you know. No. <laughs> um, it can be like a little, a little conservative, you know. Um, I mean, even like me talking right now, I'm like, am I cursing too much? You know, like there's sometimes like I, I you know, I think that you know the the average reader wants to you know read something that is very, you know, nice. You know what I'm saying? Just nice and tidy. And and um, I was like coming up with like just crazy stuff, you know, um, just anything that was like ridiculous that, that could, I thought could like go viral, <laughs> you know, uh, I was like, what is a dumb idea? Like, what's the stupidest thing I can think of? Right. Like, and let's just do that. Right. <laughs> so, so that was like, most of my stuff was like that. And then my agent, you know, naturally was like, uh, this is horrible. You should kill yourself. You know, like just don't, you know, just don't email me anymore. I regret you know? having reached out. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I regret it. Nah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dramatizing it a little bit. I think he was hoping that I would, you know, produce an idea that was a little more sellable. Um, and I kind of like, again, you know, it was just in the back of my mind, like I would think about these things, but I really wasn't searching that hard. I'd kind of given up in some ways because I had this first round of ideas, second round, a third round. In the process, you know, a couple of projects came up that that needed like ghostwriters. And um, I thought I could do a really great job as a ghostwriter. Um, I shouldn't say ghostwriter, more, of, more as like a collaborator, um, you know, a co-writer on a book. And um, I thought I could do an amazing job because um, I just felt that I was good at talking to people. And I, I, you know, I thought that I was getting good interviews. I had a pretty much a, a reputation in, in the like music journalism world as being a very good interviewer. I'd done some really big interviews and I'd, I, uh, that were just like Q&A style. And I was able to get people like that could, I mean, I, I would like interview, let's say, like Suge Knight or somebody, right, who I interviewed in 2013. The guy hadn't done an interview in like 10 years, you know, and I was able to, and he still hasn't done an interview since then. There's only one interview with him in like 15 years, and that's a Rolling Stone interview I did with him. Um, you know, none of the people who... Um, were trying to get him, even knew how to get in touch with in touch with him. You know, um, I had his number, and I just like texted him. <laughs> you know, um, there was a great interview I did with MIA where she like you know sort of talked about being like kind of abused by Diplo. Um, uh, so I had like kind of a history of doing like these really um, good interviews. So I was like, I can be a good collaborator. So for a couple of years, we were just trying to do like fine collaborator projects. 
And some of them didn't work out. And then finally, you know, we went to lunch one day and I had an idea to do a biography on somebody. And, you know, that idea to do a biography became this other book. You know, it became a book like instead of doing a biography on this one guy, it became like, let's do a book on all these guys. You know, like everybody that is like this guy, you know, he's an interesting, he's interesting because of this and there's a lot more of this. So let's go do the story on all of this, you know? And so it became like a big, you know, like narrative story on like 40 years of history. Um, and it took me about a year to write the proposal. I learned a lot writing the proposal, um, I learned a lot writing the proposal in terms of just how much research goes into these things and just how much, how much, you know, legs you really need something to stand on to actually get a book going. I mean, I think, you know, people who are maybe more accomplished than I am, maybe they went to better schools, maybe their family knows somebody better, you know, maybe they, they got a friend who works at, you know, Penguin Random House or some shit like that. Maybe they could get it easier than I could, you know. It's definitely been an uphill battle for me, and it, it really still is. You know, I think about that every day. And so my proposal was like 100 pages long, you know. I wrote the proposal as if I was writing a fucking novel. You know, like, the whole thing reads like a goddamn uh, nonfiction story. Like, you, the minute you open it up, it starts out like a memoir. The chapter summaries are like little novels. Each chapter summary, like, took me, like, a month to do, you know, because I was writing, like, little magazine pieces pieces as the chapter summaries you know I was like I'm not giving anybody an opportunity to look at this thing and think that I suck like I if you know it was like bad it was like I don't know if you guys played sports but it was like you have to just leave it Mm. all on the court you know I'm gonna leave it out here if I lose I'm going down fighting (laughs) you know what I'm saying and that was it you know because I was like this is you know I'm getting a little older you know, I'm married now, trying to start a family. It's like, I don't know that I'm going to have as much time to sit around writing book proposals in my life again, you know, so I want to do the best job I can. And that was what I did, you know, and I, I just tried my best. I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to under, you know, undershoot it. I, I wanted to like, I was like, no, I want, you know, I want to do the best I can and I want to get better while doing this. I think other people, you know, I think other people, I've seen people sell book proposals on like 10 pages, 20 pages, 30 pages, you know, a little <laughs> short thing. And I'm honestly, I'm so jealous of these people, you know, like I, I'm, I'm like, wow, I wish I could be you, you know, but you know, I'm, I, I didn't go to a good school. I didn't, um, you know, I have, I'm, I have like an outsider story, you know, I, I'm coming at it, you know, I have no institutional connections, nothing, you know, like it's. You know, me publishing a story at, like, New York Mag is, like, unheard of. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, if you go back and, like, figure out, like, where we started this conversation. I mean, like, my early life was hanging out with a bunch of, you know, criminals. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, the, the you know, the idea that I would, you know, be able to go in and, like, publish something with, with New York Magazine or any of this stuff, Esquire. Like, my point of view is, is so... Um, you know, not of the person who, like, just went to college and, you know, um, like, just came out and just started doing this and interned. Like, I didn't do any of that shit, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think that's, I think that is the uh, the beauty of writing. I mean, there's obviously, like, the, 
the old boys club where you know you have an easier access to it if you know people or if you have uh you know the resources to spend all your time doing this whether it's school or not but you also you know are able to put everybody in the same playing field in terms of like do you have a story to tell or do you not have a story to tell so yeah i, I mean you know and the, the other thing is just like i never you know all the stuff i'm, I'm uh, you know i'm talking about I mean, I think about this stuff a lot, you know, because because um, it's important, you know. I think a lot of those the people that you know have interesting stories don't get an opportunity to tell them, you know, because they didn't go to Yale or Princeton or whatever, you know. Um, they didn't go to USC Film School. They don't know how to work the system, you know. I didn't know how to work it, and so their story is like off, you know just out in the stick somewhere and, and nobody's talking to them, you know, and I grew up with a lot of people like that. And I grew up myself, you know, in some ways like that, you know, the most interesting people I know are, are, you know, are all the people that, um, nobody's asked them anything, you know, they're just, they're just sitting on, you know, in a house somewhere watching television, playing video games, talking to their friends, Yeah, you know? So, no, you're, you're, um, you're a hundred percent right. All, all of, like my friends with the best stories to tell are the ones that are never going to tell them. Right, right, right. And, and I mean, and that's how you get this kind of like, you know, this sort of little bit of a vanilla, you know, kind of like, I, I'm not, you know, and I'm really trying to, you know, be down on it because I, I think, you know, just the fact that people are publishing books is important to me, you know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. um, but yes, I mean, a lot of it is just like, I recognize that, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff, you know, on the fringes, you know? Writers Who Don't Write is supported by CastBox, the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on iOS and Android. CastBox has been downloaded more than 15 million times and you can listen wherever, whenever. CastBox has also pioneered a brand new way to search. All you have to do is enter a keyword or phrase and CastBox will search all show titles and transcripts of every single episode to deliver you exactly what you're looking for. So head on over to the App Store, download CastBox, and try it for yourself today. It's interesting now in the age of the internet that publishing is still pretty vanilla when the rest, like the, I feel like the vast majority of things that are being published on the internet now are very much not vanilla. Like as as publishing has sort of stayed the same, I'm sure it's progressed a little bit from where it was, but you know, the stuff you see published on the internet, thinking in terms of like where Vice came from and how that got big. You know, you hear stories about what they used to write about, which was like reviewing the quality of drugs. You see a lot of the same kinds of people writing these things. Like you don't hear stories from these people that are living out on the outskirts because they, it's either a lack of access or a lack of like uh, willingness or drive to like tell these stories or at least tell them in in like a book form. Is that kind of accurate, Paul, or am I crazy? Yeah, I mean, I think I think so. I think a lot of it is also just you know there was probably a period of time you know in this country and maybe abroad when there was more of an effort to go find those stories. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know. That's just, it's not even just in, 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 in publishing, it's in across all industries, you know, that are in the industries of ideas, you know, people were more 
um, I think looking for experiences outside of themselves at one period in time. You know, last night I was reading a, I was reading a story about, um, I happen to be reading a book called like the gang that wouldn't write straight, which I've had for a long time, but I, I just, for some reason picked it up. And, um, it's about like the new journalism of the, you know, uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and it's about, and there, there's a big piece of it on Michael Herr, who wrote uh, Dispatches, um, I think it was published in 77, I mean, this guy was in, like, Vietnam for, like, like, I don't know, two years, where, you know, write, writing this, um, writing, like, magazine articles for Esquire, they were paying him to be there, you know, probably not a ton of money, but, I mean, the idea that Vietnam could be so interesting to a reader. Like, nobody cares about Syria right now. Like, you know, or anything. I mean, like, there's, you know, unrest in different countries, and, like, you couldn't get anybody to pay attention to that. I mean, the average person just wants to, like, watch Stranger Things, or, you know, or read a book about, you know, something going on at, like, a college campus, or just, like, something really simple, you know. Um, and I think we've kind of like divested ourselves of, uh, you know, trying to engage with stories that are just really like far flung and, and outside of the things we see around us. You know, now we want we want we want our stories to mirror our own lives instead of trying to find stories that are, you know, adventurous and, and tell us things about, you know, people we've never met and places we've never seen. I was going to say, do you think there's, that's a product of the information being like infinitely more accessible than it was before? Whereas before you had to send like a big magazine like Esquire had to send a writer on a multi-month uh, uh, assignment to a different country. Whereas now, like we get information out of Syria every minute of every day. It's there. If you want it, you can find it. It's being published by the BBC. It's being published by Al Jazeera. You can see literally pictures from yesterday where they bombed another suburb and killed a bunch of civilians. It's, I mean, where, where is the disconnect between the amount of information that's immediately available now on something like Syria versus what it used to be like? I mean, there's a couple of reasons for it. Um, and, and you raise great points when one of it is that, is, is that, um, you have television now, right? Or you have the internet where you're getting periodic updates, right? And you can see visually a lot of things that you couldn't see 40, 50 years ago, right? Um, but what you really... I mean, I mean, part of it is that a lot of it has been done already, right? I mean, you you know, the, what we're talking about is in the 70s. You know, we're, ta we're in 2018. How can that be interesting? If you've already met these characters and we've already read these books, you know, how can we go back? But um, I think in the last, like, 10 or 15 years, we've moved away from it so much and we've relied so much on television that we've lost the nuance of what, people even are in these places I, I just mentioned war, you know war journalism as as a as a you know an example but i mean even when i wrote this like combat jack story which i, I suppose is the reason why you guys you know asked me to come on um and, you know is is um i mean when i did that story i mean I was having conversations with people behind the scenes they were like we've never read anything like this you know and i'm like i'm saying to myself well, I have, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I don't know what you're looking at all day, you know what I'm saying? But I'm actually, I, I'm pretending to, like, 
I'm not saying I copied anything because I definitely didn't, but all of my influences are things that came that happened like 50, 60 years ago, right? I mean, I'm sitting around reading like Lillian Ross and stuff like that, and I'm like, this is what it's supposed to be, right? We're supposed to have, you know, intimate portraits of people and you need to know everything about them. Like, where did their parents come from? You know, how did they feel about this? You know, what is happening, right? Like, I remember, like, that story, um, which, you know, has probably gotten the most response out of any story, like, in, that I've done in recent years. Although many of my stories have been very well received. But that one in particular, I think, you know, I'm still having conversations with people. Like, I see people in the street and they're like, yo, man, that was like incredible. You know, like uh, I, I felt like I was there, you know, with this guy and a lot of people knew him. So, so, so some of these people are people who, you know, might've had a relationship with him and they, you know, um, and, and a lot of them like don't realize that, I mean, there was so much that was left out of that. Right. I mean, like I was in the hospital with him, you know, up until, just hours before he passed away, right? I didn't leave, I didn't put any of that stuff in the story. Um, uh, I have all this information on, you know, what he was going through, the dialysis, all this medical stuff, you know? Um, and I kind of left a lot of that off the page, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, I think, it, you know, that just being able to show like a character, I think that story was about 5,000 words. I mean, like, it's important to see that those people reflected in stories because somebody can read that and they, they might connect to that, you know, that person be like, you know what, I'm a, you know, I'm a child of, you know, immigrant parents as well. Right. And I've had to be a high achiever, you know, and do X, Y, and Z and really want to do something else, you know? And, you know, so there's all these like little nuances in that story that I, I knew would be really important. And none of that shit, you don't see any of that stuff really in modern journalism now, you know, um, like these deep character things, uh, uh, you know, of about um, people's upbringing and experiences and things that really like connected to make them who they are. Yeah. And, and those are those are kind of like the like giant New Yorker pieces that you see, like, you know, from the tad friends of the world. And I, I think that you really have uh, – it's interesting to see your writing because so much of it is is like slice-of-life moments, like sitting in a Chinese restaurant and experiencing you know somebody not getting the order that they wanted. Uh, and then you have these like long, sweeping pieces about this guy that influenced like thousands of people over the years. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all, you know um, – yeah, I, I – how did how, how did you find that story that the Chinese restaurant thing? That's that's crazy. I just um, I just I googled. Nobody's ever a lot of googling. <laughs> a lot of googling. <laughs> uh, wow, that's that's crazy. Um, yeah, not that many people read that one, but uh, you know that was one where there's a lot like not said. Right, there's a lot of like interesting conversation happening. Here's like a Asian person talking about you know a pair of black people you know, in a neighborhood, which is maybe, I don't know, that store is like, that Chinese restaurant is maybe like five minutes away from where Eric Garner, you know, was killed. Um, and like, it was just amazing to, to that she was talking to me that way, you know, being a white mm -hmm. guy. And I think she thought I was going to like, kind of sort of like connect with her over that. And I really didn't. I was just like, yeah. uh, you know, 
I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't really see it that way. I just saw, you know, the people as people. And I, I was just trying to capture it as best I could, you know, almost like just a, just. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of like good writing is that it's all in the subtext. Yeah. I mean, a couple of months ago, last year, um, I went to a writer's conference. It was my first time. I'd never, I'd never really been in any writing classes or anything like that. Um, not really in my adult life, you know, um, and I mean, the most I might, might like learn about writing is from reading other writers and, uh, doing a lot of writing myself, you know, and, and sometimes, I mean, the one, one great tip I'll give people, which I always give people is, um, just copy other people's writing. Like literally just take like, like 10 pages of like Hemingway and just, and just type it every day, you know, and I, that is just like the, the, the repetition of that is like incredible. You know, it really is. It's like playing how you study classical music, how you become a, a great pianist is you start out playing other people's compositions and you, you learn the rhythms, you know, of different composers and where they take their breaks and, you know, and just how they, the language they're writing with. And because writing and music are very connected in that way, um, you know, they they need to be like melodic and harmonic and have like a pulse. And so when you're copying somebody, you know, you kind of pick up on that stuff a little bit. And if you do it enough, I mean, if you really have no talent, right, I mean, you can get a lot from doing that. You know, I mean, if you did it every day for like 10 minutes you really don't need to do that much of it, you know, just a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. I mean, that's the key is just doing it every day. That tip of writing out 10 page, like 10 pages of somebody that you really respect. I've never heard that before. It's such a great idea. It makes so much sense. You know, where I really got that from, um, I really stole that from Hunter S. Thompson, um, who... You know, I'm not, like, a terribly huge Hunter S. Thompson fan in terms of, like... I know Hunter has a lot of, like, huge fans that love his work for the content of the work, right? Um, the drugs and all that that craziness. Um, I'm not super... I'm not a super big fan of that style of stuff, mostly because I'm just too old to really, like... Real, like, it just doesn't connect with me. That's more like stuff for, like, somebody who's, like, 12 or 15 or something like that, you know? I also just not that into drugs and shit, so I, I don't care, you know. Um, but a, a, something great that he has attributed to him is like the letters of Hunter S. Thompson, which there are two volumes of, and they're they're massive. And I mean, the letters are incredible. I mean, that they're like the best thing. They're among the best things I've ever read. You know, um, like his letters to people throughout his life. That is where he talks repeatedly about copying the, the, uh, copying a page. He'll say, you know, he'll tell somebody I woke up in the morning, you know, and I copied, you know, a couple of pages of Fitzgerald, you know, just to get in the rhythm, you know? And I was like, man, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> you know? And, and, um, and so then I kind of like started doing it and I noticed, I noticed big, you know, definitely big, um, big changes you know um so but yeah that's one thing i'll recommend like the letters like his letters are incredible you know that's like the closest thing to a memoir 
as I think he has, you know, and it's just fascinating seeing this guy, you know, right at age 18, 19, and then all the way up until, you know, he's much older and the sophistication in the, in the letters gets, you know, more dramatic. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's great. It's really, really amazing stuff. All right, so I think we're we're coming up on a few minutes left here. I know Jeff's got to jump pretty soon, and we've already taken up so much of your time, which we appreciate. But I think we've got to do quickly one of the stories that you struggled to tell. And I know we've already talked about Combat Jack a little bit, so I was wondering if you could uh, pick from the other three that you sent through email. Uh, the Damon Dash thing. I mean, that was like... The reason why that was so challenging, um, I think, was because... I really had never gone, I, I didn't go into the piece thinking I was going to write that. You know, I went in there to basically do a very general interview with him. Hey, how you doing? You know, what you been up to? Let's talk about the movie. You know, and the assignment wasn't to do that. It was to do a very short Q&A. Um, and I was just so bored by doing that shit. And I was like, you know, I'm not really going to make a lot of money doing this. Maybe I'm going to, you know, I don't even know how much I got paid for that. You know, I got paid more for that piece than I would had it just been the Q&A because I, I, I demanded more money for it cause, because of what it became. But, but um, like, for what it was supposed to be, it wasn't supposed to be that. And, and um, so I remember walking out of the gallery that night after we got into the argument and, you know, it was like kind of... You know, it got a little testy. I thought we might get into the fight in the middle of the piece. And I remember bumping into a friend of mine, uh, like down around Chinatown. I was walking, I was just walking from the gallery. And she said, are you all right? And I said, oh, you know, I just, I just left this interview with Damon Dash. And like, we almost got into a fight. And it's really like, kind of like fucking with me. You know, like, I'm just like, kind of like lost in my head right now. You know, she was like okay she's like didn't even know how to process what i was saying she's like all right you know and i was like i'm just gonna go home now you know i'll talk to you later and i I went home and um i just kept thinking about it for like days you know it was like really weighing on me like did i do something wrong did i like provoke this guy where did i go wrong in terms of like what i was asking was i disrespectful you know was i I mean, as he, he, he told me I was racist, I'm like, well, am I racist? You know, like, like all this stuff, I mean, that I never think about, right? Like, you know, and I wrote many versions of it and I, and every version left out the, 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 the elephant in the room, which was this, like, this fight because I thought it, 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 well, it wasn't like we, we didn't get into a physical fight, you know, it's not like I, he punched me, you know, but, but, um, I would, I mean, which, you know, could have happened, right? It's happened before. Yeah, it would have been even more fun, right? I mean, like, but but the idea was like, the idea was like, there was an almost fight. How do you make an almost fight into a story, you know? And, and how do you do it in a way that respects the subject, right? And how do you do it in a way in which it reveals a bit of the subject's character, you know? And so I wrote it many, many times. And then actually the editor at, at, uh, at Vice who I was writing it for, you know, he was like, man, this is really good. And and then like, you know, but I don't know, man, it's like, it's, it's hitting, but it could be better. And then I was kind of like, yo, man, like he says, I think you're going a little soft on him. You know, I think you're going soft, man. You're making it, 
you're making him seem like, you know, this is like too much of a puff piece, you know? And I was like, you know what, man? Like, let me be real about it. Me and this guy almost got into it, you know? He was being a dick to me. He thought I was being a dick to him, you know? It, we almost got, you know, physical, you know? And he was like, well, why don't you just write that? He was like, put yourself in the put your reader in the room. Like, the best writing is something that, you know, just puts the puts the reader right there with you. Like, fuck dressing it up. Just say what was happening, you know? And so that's what I did. And um, and it still went through many, you know, many iterations. I usually edit things an exceptional amount of times because most editors don't really edit that much anymore. They just kind of take what you give them and just kind of put it up. So you have to really edit it yourself, like, like a number of times. And, you know, go through so many iterations of what you think the final product is going to be because people are looking at a voluminous amount of content and they're not going to spend a lot of time on this 5,000 word piece you know they're just like give it to me and I'll get it up you know so you have to be your own editor and so I was like working on the pacing you know working on like what is the reader going to take from it are they going to are they going to fight you know, so if you read it, you don't know if we got into the fight until, like, the end, right? You see, you think, like, yeah, yeah. They, they, they got into a fight, and then you kind of, like, come away from it, and you're like, oh, okay, it kind of got diffused, you know? But it was, how do I take something that's a really small moment, and how, how do I take something that is the almost fight, which is even, I realized recently, is even sometimes more powerful than getting into a fight, right? Because fear is, like such a more powerful feeling than, you know, most things, um, you know, just, just feeling afraid. Like if you can make the reader feel afraid and make them feel how you felt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause the almost tension, like the, the, the tension of the, the moment just before a fight is like infinitely more relatable than the fight itself because most people don't get to that point. Right. I mean, we've all been in situations where things get testy, right? I mean, not that many yeah. people. I don't think these days, like, the average person is just punching people in the face, right? Like, you know, <laughs> it's <right>. just yeah. – <laughs> it, but but you do have contentious things with, like, people at work. You know, um, people send, like, emails that are crazy, and you feel, like – you feel, like, challenged in some way, and you're – and and you kind of, like, want to quiet the feeling of, 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 of anger, but it rustles up in you, and you're like mm-hmm. – um, and then also there was like for that uh, another reason why that story was very challenging was just I didn't know that I wanted to put something in there that was going to embarrass me like that right because a lot of writing now you know I mean no writer is going to is going to tell in a story I mean I've never read anything like that and that was the reason why I did it was like Nobody's going to say I'm going to punch my subject in the face. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, in, in that story, I literally said, I'm going to beat the shit out of this guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like you know, so who's going to write that? Like, nobody's going to say that. Because the average person is, you know, they walk into these interviews and they're kind of like, they they idolize and they, they sort of... Um, they turn that person into a deity and they're like a god i'm interviewing you and i i didn't feel that way i mean even though i res- i had a lot of respect for for him you know i've been around a lot of famous people in my life and you know uh i live a very colorful life myself and ha- i've had a very colorful life so i never am going to walk into something a guy could have a lot more money than me he could have done a lot more things than me but 
I'm, you know, I'm never going to get like turned into a sucker, you know, because somebody did something 15 years ago, you know, it's like, it's cool, you know what I mean? But like, so he was like saying a lot of shit, thinking I wasn't going to get it, you know, dropping names of things. And, and I'm just like, it's cool, man. Like that doesn't mean nothing to me, you know? Um, so it was like this tete-a-tete, you know? And I wanted the piece to kind of reflect that. Like, and that was like, again, that was one of the ones that I think, you know, led me to feel that I could really, um, like really, really do this, you know, um, it was just like kind of ambitious and, and, um, yeah, it was really, really, really well received. A lot of people still to this day, you know, um, there's been many things written about him, many great stories, but, um, you know, that, that is one that I think people come back to. And uh, I'm really happy about that. All right, Paul, I think, we do have to wrap. I've got I've for I would talk about Damon Dash and that piece for probably another hour just because that is one of the better characters. I he's just such an interesting dude to read about and to watch because now all of those videos are available of him on YouTube, like at that Def Jam meeting. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just it's, what a fascinating person to read about and to know that uh, through your perspective that he will literally threaten to fight you. I mean, he, I mean, that was a thing. Like, he, 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 did, all he, this time. he, he did, he didn't, you know, but it was kind of like thinly veiled. And like, the thing about it was, uh, one thing, you know, with me is like, uh, you know, I have a lot of like empathy for people, like a ton, you know, I, I mean, uh, I see people, I'm not really, I don't ever really walk into things and be very judgmental. You know, some of the most fascinating people I've met are people who have like done some of the most horrific things, you know, um, uh, like Truman Capote, right? I mean, like his great book is in cold blood, right? He, he spent like months getting to know a bunch of guys who killed people, you know, um, who killed his family. Right. And it's like, I'm pretty sure that those were, some interesting minds that he was, you know, plumbing the depths of, right? So in order to be able to get that story, you have to be able to not pass judgment on them. Um, and so I wasn't judging him. You know, I walked in, like, with a clean slate, and then he kind of, like, was fl- kind of flipping, and it was like, damn, okay, dude, you know, I see you haven't really changed that much, you know? Like, I- as much as I want to give you the benefit of the doubt, you are kind of being a dick, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, so... um and then I just try to capture that. It was just like, how can I make it so that I don't just say he's a dick, right? Like, like, cause that's the easy thing to do. The easy thing mm-hmm. to do is say, Damon Dash did X, Y, and Z, and he's a dick because I want you to think he's a dick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I don't want to tell you he's he's a dick. I want you to think it. Like, and that's that's the that's the key is you know how do I get you to think some shit that I think without telling you? You know, and that's like the whole show, you know, versus tell type thing. You know, it's like how can I create the the portrait and you draw that? You know, I don't need to tell you this guy's quiet and sad or anything but how can you look at it and take that from what i'm saying mm-hmm. you know so paul where can our listeners find you online um really just on my twitter account you know which is uh, my backslash paul Cantor, and uh i write on medium a lot i think my my medium thing there is at paul Cantor, and um hopefully i'll have like a more professional website you know up soon and 
I can be like a professional writer and I'll have like a cool headshot and you know yeah, man. I'll be like I'll be like smiling and it'll be like Paul, you know, did this like New York Times bestselling thing and you know, he's had this thing option for a movie or all this jazz. Um, yeah, we'll bring you back on to talk about how uh, you've adapted it to a screenplay. Yeah, that that would be great, man. Well, um thank you guys for having me on. Um I haven't done too many interviews about writing um, I mean, some, but not like a ton. And um, I enjoy talking about it, you know, tremendously. And, uh, you know, it, it means a lot that you, you've asked me to. So thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, man. All right. Yeah, thanks, Paul. We really appreciate it. This has been an episode of Writers Who Don't Write, which is a show on the Podglomerate Network. We want to thank Paul Cantor for joining us this week. You can find him online on Medium using his name, Paul Cantor, which is C-A-N-T-O-R. You can also find him on Twitter, at Paul Cantor. You can find us online at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at www.podcast. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and all of the social medias. Also, if you like writers who don't write, you will probably like the other shows that Podglomerate produces. There is literally something for everyone. I would suggest Status or Plus 7 Intelligence or Two Girls, One Podcast, amongst many others. We want to thank Holland Patent Public Library for the music that you hear at the top and the bottom of the show. We also want to thank Ben Sound for providing the music underneath the ad breaks in the middle. We will be back in two weeks with another interview, with another show, with another episode of Writers Who Don't Write, and we will see you then. Pod Glomer, a sonic universe.